you get things out of your head and you process, you know, you process them and step by step it, that's almost the ingredients, you know, that you need. And then you formulate a recipe that enables you to give, you know, that to somebody else to effectively be able to bake your business or bake a cake. Welcome to the Brainfold Brilliant Podcast. I have got Gary Daz with me here today. Now, Gary is the CEO, founder, owner of Active Financial and Active Success and an absolute genius when it comes to all things social media, high performance, business, you name it. Gary, nice to see you. Thank you very much indeed for having me. (laughs) Well, listen, it took us a while to get it in the diary, but here we are. So I am excited about going through how life has worked out for you and your journey and everything. So um, Gary, obviously you have done a huge amount and I think you have reinvented yourself quite a few times through your career as well. So do you want to just give us the plotted history on Gary Daz and why everyone needs a Gary Daz in their life? (laughs) <laughs> as I said to you before, I don't think my wife will agree with that question, with that statement. Um, the plotted history, without going into too much detail, uh, I got into mortgages in 2003, having had loads of temporary jobs. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And my dad said, you're an office person, go and work in a bank. Um, and was just really good at sales because we used to do markets when I was 13 years old and things like that. So long story short, they moved me quickly into um being a mortgage advisor. I then went on a job hopping hunt because I couldn't get inquiries with Connells, Woolwich, Alexander Hall, Uh, ran someone else's brokerage up till 2005 and then went self-employed in 2006. Um, Did no marketing because that was when money supermarkets started and you could buy a name, number and email address from them. So I continued doing that. But the credit crunch hit in 2008. I was doing bad credit. That disappeared. So for seven years, I had to diversify and do life insurance, Um, ended up building a almost seven figure insurance brokerage with a team of 15 that I absolutely hated because I was back to work three days after my first daughter was born and fundamentally didn't learn business. Uh, And then on 2016, no, 2015, my bank said to me, no, Gary, you can't move, even though you've had your most profitable year. So I phoned 180 lenders in three days found a niche in self-employment, downsized my team from 15 to three and started all over again January 2016, but went on a bit of a mission to learn marketing, learn business, surround myself with like-minded individuals, started doing videos, started doing content. Obviously, we met at a property training business where I realized that I could obviously get some introductions. And long story short, you know, we, we obviously got smashed by a pandemic, which made things a little bit more tricky. But as a result of releasing my book, my industry started asking me for help. And that then led to having a, a training business for the last four and a half years to help my help my industry. Um, and yeah, I've, I've kind of realized having lost my mum last year, I'm fundamentally a lifestyle business owner. I'll always choose time over money. Um because I want to be able to do what I want when I want. And as nice as it is, you know, getting to the next level of income in your bank, there's no point in doing it if you can't enjoy it. Mm. Wow. Well, listen, there's loads for us to kind of dig into here, Gary. And, you know, we were talking before we press record how hard it is when you lose you lose a loved one. So, um, yeah, massive, massive kind of sending you a big love and a hug. Um, or a cutch, as the Welsh would say. Now I live down in <laughs> down in Wales. Um, but, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard, isn't it? And sometimes when those things happen it makes you stop 
kind of reassess or it almost puts everything into question. That's what I found when I lost my dad. And as I said before, you know, my mum's not well at the moment. So I'm kind of, you know, really got the empathy with you. But when we'll go back to my early career shortly, but that that sort of moment and that tough time you went through last year, how how did it change things for you then, Gary, apart from the grief side of it, of course, but, you know, in terms of what you were, what was important to you as a person and as a business owner? Yeah, I think up until going into 2016 and going into this personal development training world that we've been in, a lot of the people who preach in that space, you know, they're running 20 million pound a year businesses or they're, you know, they're quote unquote looking at them initially when, I was in the early phase of it, putting them on a pedestal. And then you actually realize when you meet them and shake hands with them, they're basically normal human beings who have done quite well, but equally have some of their own issues, shall we say. Um, But I think as well, approaching my 40th birthday two years ago started to get me to that point of, oh my God, this is the journey that I've been on, you know my dad's 80, he's 40 years older than I am. And I'm like, well, where do I want to be when my dad's 80? And I started going through this reflection phase And it was a week after my 40th birthday that my mum had a major bowel operation and the illness kind of started. Um, And it wasn't until December where it really got bad. So January 2022, I just didn't want to be in my business. She was given 48 hours to live um, and carried on with us until April time. So it sort of made me you know, just not turn up in any way, shape or form. My mind was very much distracted. Luckily, the team is great that they kind of carried things on. And as we kind of went through the latter part of 2022 and more so into this year, I got a new coach who's mindset orientated. If you watch Billions, she's like Wendy Rhodes out of Billions. She can see things before you can kind of see them and predicts the future through your own brain. It's very weird. Um, Sounds a bit woo-woo, but, you know, I'm into a bit of that. Um, and I suppose it was just a case of the the main reflection was, what do I want for my next 40 years? I don't want to end up making the same mistakes that I've always done. And actually, irrespective of keep pushing and driving and sprinting and running and working 24-7, 365. Um, and yes, I had holidays. I don't really work weekends, all that kind of jazz, unless I really wanted to. But in search of what? You know, it 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 was money that I was probably chasing for a period of time. And then actually, you know, the mum reflection made you, made me realize for the first time, that's the first close relative that I've ever lost. Cause my uncles and aunts are, you know, lived in America or I haven't been around or my grandparents died before I was born. So, you know, quite a hard hitting thing with my mum, but I think actually we should build, we should work out. And this is what I teach my clients to do now more than ever is like, what is the life you actually want to live? What's the income you want to have? Um, When you get that, what do you actually want to do? Because there's not many people who start a passion project like Ben Francis of Gymshark and build it to billions or Joe Wicks, who's into fitness and builds a huge fitness app. What I've come to realize is most of the people who preach passion. um, What's the other word? Like do your passion, follow your purpose and all this malarkey. It's actually BS because they've got a business that gives them the income and the cash flow that they truly need to say, okay, I can step back now. And then they go and follow their passion nine times out of 10. So I kind of just reflected and said, okay, what does my life need to be so that I can, you know, put my own mask on first. And then now we'll start to follow the passion project, which is where the training sort of gone up a level this year. 
Yeah, amazing. And, you know, I think what as you were talking, I'm kind of nodding away because I've sort of been on a similar journey myself over the years. And and I think there are pivotal moments, you know, and anyone that's listening to this, they might be at a pivotal moment themselves where you're just starting to question and it comes back to why. Well, why am I doing this? You know, what for? For whom? You know, really? And, and often that can lead to either a significant change of direction or just a clarity of thought. Some people never find their true kind of reason why to get out of bed in the morning. And I think it's really refreshing that, you know, almost your lovely mum, as awful as it is to lose a loved one, and in particular a parent, almost that's probably her gift to you, you yeah. know, to, to set you on a different direction and a more meaningful life in this next phase. I, mean, I don't want to kind of get all, <laughs> but as you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, that that's, that's her final gift to you in a way. Yeah. And, and, you know, I got really close to my brother and sister as a result of that. So there's, there's always positive, you know, I think you always have balance, don't you? At the end of the day, we can focus on the negative, but there's always positives, as you say, that come out of it. And I think, as that was coming out of the back end of the pandemic, I think we all probably said yes to too much stuff because we had a little bit more time, you know, since January this year, um, my baby turned up two months, my fourth child turned up two months early in December. So that chucked a, an ICU month into the mix and then a, a lockdown month in January because we didn't realize, obviously, you can't take them anywhere because they're so susceptible to stuff. So no one met him until February when he was actually due to be born. Um, but since February, I've just been in this mission to, as you say, I've questioned everything in terms of why am I doing it? What am I actually doing this task or this job or this business or this idea for? And I've probably sacked off 75% of the stuff that I've said yes to over the last three years. Um, mm -hmm. And that's made everything much easier, happier. And ironically, I'm working less, but the businesses, the team and me are earning more. Figure that one out. <laughs> amazing what a bit of that well this is why i said everyone needs a gary does in their lives so you can kind of share how to do it but yeah i mean not without its um its scars along the way obviously you know and uh but that, that you know i think it's great that you're you've really readdressed and, and kind of doing doing what's right for you right now and your family and let, let's talk about the the kind of the fine the different stages of your business evolution gary if we may so you talked about the earlier career where you made that first move to become self-employed yeah um was that a scary prospect having been in a job and a sort of steady regular income or was it just something that you kind of went yeah I'm ready to do this now how did that that work out for you because a lot of people might be in jobs thinking I want to kind of do my own thing but I'm terrified of losing the regularity of an income or whatever it may be so talk about that little phase and then we're going to talk about the different stages after that okay so my dad has been self-employed for as long as I can realistically remember. So we moved into our, or we moved into my childhood house when I was six and my dad's still in that house now. So pretty much from six until I was 26, you know, I'd been around him being self-employed and, and sort of that side. So I had a bit of a inkling and a head start, shall we say, but I think it's really important if you have that destination, if you have that idea of saying, you know, I want to go to a point where I'm working for myself. Then, as I said, I started in mortgages in a corporate bank in 2003. They then moved me to a little branch in a tiny little village down the road called Southwood and Ferris, where the age demographic does not need a mortgage. So I moved over to a new, I moved over to Connell's um, and Connell's, I was at the top of the high street and the car park was at the bottom of the high street. 
So I was again last in line by the time they came to look at properties because there was no internet back then, you know, it was you had to look at the pictures in the actual wall or the magazine that came through the door. So by the time they got to me, there was no chance I was really getting many mortgages out of the back of that. Um, and from there, I then went to go to London, but from London, it was great. Uh, I was there for nearly nine months, but I was up at seven, getting the train. Last appointment was eight o'clock. So I was getting home at 10 and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then I moved to another brokerage where it was driving, but I'd be in Norwich at night, 10 o'clock at night. And they wouldn't be back in Colchester at nine o'clock the next morning. It was just like, and it got to a point. Fortunately, there was a new business that started in January 26, January 2005, advert in the paper. There was me, a girl called Emma and the owner called Pete. Um, and Emma and I were both advisors. And within 11 months, I was compliance and sales manager managing a team of seven advisors. Emma was doing all the back office after the sales had been done. And Pete was doing the marketing, but out of the office most of the time and in the cinema. And we were doing 100 grand a month. Um so I just said to my dad, I need two and a half grand. Uh, well, actually, I got my own mortgage first as an employee and I was due to move out. That was one of the key things, because if I'd have gone self-employed and then tried to move, I would have never got a mortgage. So I got 100 percent mortgage from Northern Rock, um, moved into my flat and then said to my dad, can I have two and a half grand? I know how to buy leads now because Money Supermarket was selling them. Can I go self-employed? And that was in the November of 2006. Um, and I just went gun ho rang every person that I knew. Um, I did 12 hour days initially in that kind of first year. Uh, and I think it's to, to kind of emphasize the journey. It's like, get really freaking good at your craft, really, really confident at your craft, challenge yourself in different environments. So, you know, I had a bank, I had an estate agency, I had a London brokerage, and then I had the opportunity to run somebody else's business. And I'd seen enough to know how to kind of do it for myself. Um, and the main thing I think whenever going into that self-employed world is how do I get someone to book into my diary and get a name number and an email address? You know, fortunately we've got social media and all this kind of cool online stuff that we didn't have back then. Um, and yeah, and, and then just whether it was starting in 2006 or starting again in 2016, You've just got to go gun ho for 12 to 18 months and sacrifice lifestyle and time to, you know, to almost come out of the gate sprinting. Yeah. Um, and then you can afford to run a marathon after your, your sort of first year sprint, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, you know, there, there is no easy solution. You know, there's no shortcut to, to running a business, starting a business, scaling a business or a career. You know, if you're in the corporate space and you're thinking, right, I want the top, top job, you ain't going to get the top job unless you do some real hard kind of you know hours and graft and, and put, put the effort in. And I think you're right. Sometimes people have a perception that maybe it's, it's going to be more straightforward or easier, but there's going to be so many bumps in the road and you're right. You've got to kind of roll your sleeves up and, have that tenacious focus haven't you and just really follow every lead every connection could lead to something and and just really kind of put the app put the hours in and and 10 years later then Gary in 2016 when you sort of had a bit of a reinvention shall we say what had shifted in you as a business sort of owner leader during that time do you think how had you matured during that 10-year period yeah thank um so my as my dad being self-employed, he was still 
the first in last out he was still had too many fingers in too many pies you know he knew everything that was going on in his business and at one point it's a manuf- it's a um, import export business that still supplies halford diy you know b&q home base um, and they were doing 10 million at one point in time but he still was so involved and i thought hard work more work was what would make me successful um, 2009, I let my best mate buy in, but we didn't sit down and devise our individual roles. So we were both trying to drive the car. We both wanted to do the same things. Um, two years later, I went on honeymoon and bought him back out. Um, we also recruited too quickly. We spent too much money. We didn't manage effectively enough. Um, so I sort of started again in 2012. Um, again, sacked all our team and went back to me and my PA and sort of rebuilt the business back up till 2015. But I still had that. I I, I was a business owner, but I had a self-employed mindset. Mm. So I was still first in last out. I didn't have anyone managing, you know, anyone management. I was still doing the management of 15 people. Um, I was still monitoring things. And I think more than ever, the biggest realization was, was that I was paying 20,000 pound a month for low quality life insurance leads. And it was the the fear of if I actually stopped paying this, I have no other way in which I can generate an inquiry or or get a name and a number. We can service our existing clients, but you know nobody wants life insurance, irrespective of everybody needing it. You can do the best job for the person in the world, but you know no one's knocking down your door to give them some more or, or getting their best men, friend to take it. So when the bank said no, you can't move, having had you know six figure sort of profit year, um, I just realised that having listened to Tony Robbins and um, seen a guy in fitness called Jamie Alderton doing video, uh, I kind of thought to myself, right, if I continue to do what I've always done, I'm going to continue to get what I've always got. So I I just had to have that shift of uh, starting again and focusing on, you know, I posted on social media for six months. I started doing video in the June of 2016. I first did my first live video in first of November and then did lives every day for 30 days. That certainly got me over my fear of a video. Um, I did a public speaking course in, in sort of the December of 2017 and just realized that the first business course that I did was Key Person of Influence by Daniel Priestley. Because when I was looking online, I was like, right, I've got this self-employed niche. I'm an expert in self-employed, having done one mortgage, which was mine. Um, how do I get this message out to people? How do I, you know, how do I become really well known as the number one self-employed expert in the UK? And it led me to KPI. And I sort of did that course. Um, and then that kind of just kicked off the ideas that, you know, you need to build your profile, you want to publish the book, which I did. Um, and just actually the you know, the, the investment in self, as Warren Buffett says, pays the highest dividends, particularly at the moment in the climate that we are. You put your money in stocks and shares, you put your money in property, you've got interest rates being high, we've got a major cost of living crisis. Whereas actually, if you self-educate, which you can do through podcasts like this wonderful one, or you can get an audio book, or you can go to an event, or you can pay for an expert in a particular area to teach you something, once you've got that knowledge, providing it's not shelf development and you actually implement an action, you know, that doesn't go, that doesn't degrade, that doesn't go down, that value only increases over time. Um, so typically a mortgage advisor in their first year, and I've now got 23 up and down the country, will average somewhere between about 60 and a hundred thousand pounds in sort of their first year if they if they work hard. 2016 through utilizing social media through content marketing facebook groups doing some networking 
uh, with one PA, I was able to bank 329,000. Um, and I'd always been, you know, I've always done sales since I was 13. So it was, but it's, you know, leads, sales, good strategy, systems, delegating the lower value tasks, all of that kind of really, really became clear um, during sort of that first year of 2016, 2017. Amazing. Well, listen, you're in very good company, Gary, because I actually had Daniel Priestley on the podcast. So his episode ah. about, uh, about a month ago. Nice. So yes, it took me a while to, to bag Daniel, uh, but I did. Um, perseverance took me about six months, but we had a great conversation. <laughs> so yeah, it's actually interesting that you said about key person of influence, because obviously he's he's a great example, actually, of someone that has scaled up and, and really helped a lot of people with reach and presence and all of that stuff. So yes, you are in very good company, Gary. And um, one of the things that I think as you were talking that was standing out to me was around let go to grow. Yes. You know, and actually at some, you know, very often where, I mean, I do a lot of advisory work, as you know, and, and mentor, you know, business owners and, and people in the corporate world as well. Um, but very often they, they themselves are the biggest blocker. And that can either be mindset or it could just be that they're control freaks and aren't, are, you know, just don't feel comfortable for whatever reasons to kind of let go. But you had to let go to grow. And there's a massive lesson in there, I think. So in that recognition that you needed to do that, and also you wanted, I guess, you know, where you are now is around quality time, you know, working on your business, not in your business, all those great phrases that get thrown around. But the reality is, what did you need to put in place in order to give you the confidence to to make that change? Because I think it's really important when people are thinking about this, if you're a blocker in your business today, then you do need to let go to grow. But what do you need to put in place to give you the confidence and the ability that the wheels aren't going to come off when you step step back? Talk us through that, Gary. Yeah, it it taken me a long time to really realize this. And I decide I, I utilize it as process systems people. So the first thing is I did a I did a podcast myself recently where I talked about, you know, I've rebuilt my team this year. During course of pandemic, I had one person in my office managing sort of 14 people up and down the country as high as Scotland, Wales, South. Um, but my reflections this year, post mum and, and stuff is like, right, now I need to build an employed team around me. So I realized the operations manager I had wasn't the right person in that seat. Um, he wasn't following some of the processes and systems. So I actually said to myself, May, June time, I got rid of him and then brought a PA in because I knew that what I could do was actually train that individual in the way in which I wanted it to be done. And we could loom video things and we could then transcribe those loom videos utilizing AI and write process documents. Um, and essentially, you know, we've got an Excel spreadsheet that has a video recording of how to do a task and then transcribed. They've turned it into a checklist that goes with the video. Um, everything we've been doing is just building our SOPs and our operations manual. But if you if you get things out of your head and you process, you know, you process them and step by step it, that's almost the ingredients, you know, that you need. And then you formulate a recipe that enables you to give you know, that to somebody else to effectively be able to bake your business or bake a cake. You know, I'm, I am by no means, I cannot do DIY, but you give me Ikea flat pack furniture and an electric screwdriver. And I will be any construction person in the entire world. Cause I am so process orientated. So it's a case of build the step-by-step -step for what the task is, put a measure and managing process in place, i.e. a system, um, 
you know, we use one in the mortgage space. We use active campaign for the deals function, et cetera. You can manage tasks between people. You've got Trello or Asana or Monday, all of these productivity tools where you can pass the baton, you know, and you can structure the conversations in one particular place. And all the person has to do is utilize the system designed around the process. And at any point you can go in and check it's being done or it's being monitored or managed in the way in which it is. And the biggest thing that I've done this year is have a Monday, Monday setup where we sit down for 45 minutes and we agree the three to five things that must get done this week. We have a Wednesday check-in where they just basically send me a message with where they're at with each of them. And then we have a Friday finish where I'll get it all today. What's been done, what's not been done. And then um, we do exactly the same thing. So it's like, I used to be hand two hands off. And then I would moan when something wasn't done or when it would, you know, people, you know what it's like, you start a diet, the longer you do the diet for the harder it becomes to stick to it, you need accountability. There's not and particularly employees, you know, if they if they didn't need the accountability, they would go and start a business themselves. So being a leader and being a manager, just put the process in place, systemize it. If the person doesn't then consistently follow the process in the system, that's when you kick them out and get somebody else in. But it's generally, I find, I don't know if you've seen, you've been obviously around a lot bigger businesses than I run or, or have been, but eight times out of 10, the problems that you come up against or the complaints that you get or the issues that you find typically come for me, come back to a process issue. Yeah. I don't know how yeah, you feel yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think there's some some really great pieces of advice there, you know, because regardless of the size of business, even if you're a solopreneur, you will have stuff that just has to be done, right, in order to, to deliver what you deliver. And I think, you know, like, yeah, I've run large global businesses with, you know, thousands of people on my team, but the, the principles are exactly as you've said, you know, you need to be able to map your processes. And I, I often say, well, let look at the customer journey or look at the employee journey, or look at the supplier journey, map out all the different phases or touch points. And then that allows you to almost say, right, okay, line in the sand, that's where we are now. And yep. then of course you look at it with fresh eyes and you say, okay, well, what could we do in a more streamlined way? Are there steps that actually we don't need to do? And we, we, we've overlayered because over, over time it's grown arms and legs. Where can we automate? You know, where are maybe the, the resources, the people not quite right? And it allows you then to almost kind of regularly, you know, just retweak it, make sure it's still fit for purpose. You know, the market might have shifted, your customer, your product proposition might have shifted, your systems might have shifted. So it's an ongoing thing, isn't it? But you're absolutely right, you know, so systems people processes doesn't matter the size of the business it always comes down to those three elements and then i guess really the, the sort of the the customer is at the heart if you like of of all of that and then the wraparound is kind of you know your strategy and all of that good stuff and the numbers and the finance and blah de, blah de, blah but um yeah no that's a really really good good point around if you want to be able to step back or or focus on what you should do it i always say gary that as a business leader you need to be like a helicopter. You know, you need to be hovering above here, you know, looking at the horizon, the strategy, the big investments, the decisions, leading the team, allocating resources, making the big decisions. And then sometimes you need to know when to land, get involved, but importantly, take off again. You know, do not micromanage your team because it pisses everyone off. And actually, that's not what you should be doing. So I think that analogy always helps me like saying, well, actually... 
am I, have I landed for too long? Do I now need to, or am I not landing enough? Are there opportunities that require more of my attention? Or maybe there's a fire, there's a crisis that really needs you, you know? So I think it's quite a good way of thinking about leadership as well. And, you know, to make sure that you, you, you're hovering, but you're landing and you're taking off and you're constantly doing that, you know, it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And and with building the team, Gary, you know, I'm a I'm a I love seeing people flourish, right? And and it's I love building high performing teams, helping other businesses do the same. But you know, human to human, you know, you talked about accountability in, in the kind of meeting structure that you have and the cadence you have around that. And you're absolutely right. But also people want human to human contact, right? Um, we're not machines at the end of the day, we're emotional beings. So what have you found to be the most challenging part of creating great teams? And sometimes part of that is around letting people go, like you described earlier with your, you know, your head of operations. So so what what do you find is the most the most challenging thing when it comes to managing sort of teams or leading teams rather than managing? Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, I I like the leading and I loved your analogy of what you just kind of said there in terms of the helicopter. I might have to borrow it occasionally. Um, I, can't awesome. I can't remember where I can't remember where I heard it from, but someone said to me that the the idea of a managing director is to manage the workflow. Their job is to choose what and why and really explain to the team why, but to leave the team to work out the how. And if something goes wrong, it's not to fix it, it's to explain or put pressure on them to say, look, I've seen your work before. You can do better than this. Or here's a couple of tweaks that might be a good idea and then leave them to crack on with it and get better at it. Um, one of the game changers for me, and I probably since 2006, I've probably recruited in excess of 50, 60 people through my you know, reinventions and upsizing and downsizing and everything else. And I think more so than ever, when I started my journey, say 2016, I wanted to pay cheap. And what I've come to realize in everything is it either costs you time in trying to figure it out or time in recruitment or, you know, time in trying to get it right, or it costs you money um, in terms of paying that little bit more. Um, and equally, you know, if you're investing time into a new person, that stops you doing your higher value stuff, which then also costs you money. So I was I was tight when it came to recruitment for a very, very uh, good number of years. Right. And then this year, I found a uh, I found a personality profiling tool called Compass, uh, Contribution Compass. And that has been an absolute game changer because there's four main energies that you have. I'm red. You've got uh, very high ideas, crap at finishing things. You know, you've got your yellow energies who are very people focused. You've got your green energies who are amazing at finishing tasks and will follow a system and a process to the nth degree. And then you've got your blue refining system numbers orientated energies. And there's eight profiles within the four energies. Uh, and I kind of became to realize that actually, you know, the temptation in my early years was to find people just like me, but then that didn't solve the problems in the business. So I've started to actually look and say, where am I really shit hot? And where are the three to five, three to five, three to seven things that only I can do and do more of those and recruit other people to do the other ones um, and do the, not necessarily the lower value tasks, but equally, you know, my team often say that I'm like a speedboat and their job is not to try and keep up with me or to, or to ride the wake. You know, their job is to really make sure that they're almost, they're steering the boat and I'm the one who's on the surfboard kind of surfing behind and, and, and going. And if, obviously in a, in a sense of when you turn the corner in a boat, 
the person on the on the uh, on the skis goes further ahead than the boat, and it's only as that sort of starts to straighten out that 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 comes back round. So it's it's really just a case of um, not necessarily managing, micromanaging, but the big game changer has been hiring people with experience. So Zoe's got six years experience, my PA in the mortgage industry. I took on George a couple of months ago. He's six years in marketing. Kiefer's 10 years in video. Jamie, one of my advisors in the office is nine years as an advisor. So re removing what I had a fear of early on in my office was, you know, I don't want people older or, you know, more experienced than me because who am I? You know, I can't, I can't manage them. I can't tell them what to do and everything else. Whereas actually, you know, if you've got a real clear vision, mission values and, you know, you, you kind of realize that the goal is, Daniel Priestley, funnily enough, said it to me, is your goal is not to do any work. You know, hire people better than you and get out the freaking way and just let them do a really good job and just hold them to account. So it's kind of the the mindset I have now is just like, right, let's not do anything. <laughs> <laughs> how's that working for you gary um it's a difficult one the transit the actual the actual transition was really freaking hard because it's almost like i'm i'm a doer so i love being busy and i will naturally do more do more do more do more but as i kind of mentioned earlier i'm working less than ever but what i'm working on is like you say the the bird's eye view i'm being forward thinking in terms of you know my whole goal between now uh, sort of October and December every year is right. Let's spend three months. Look at the why behind everything that I want from the next 12 months. Why are we recruiting that team? Why are we going to that size? Um, you know, what do I want to achieve over the course of the next year? Find out and get my team to do a lot of introspection um, so that then we can start to look at um, actually achieving better goals over the course of the nine months of, of each individual year. So yeah, I think, Leadership is one that is probably, in terms of my knowledge and development, particularly thanks to, to you know, to COVID, having had four years, sort of started to build a team externally. That's probably been one of my biggest learnings this year, really, is in terms of recruitment and and actually leadership and getting out of the way and, and hiring people better than me, which, you know, costs significantly more. 10 grand, 10 grand a year in, in a lot of people's wages is probably what you end up at. Um, but the time that it saves uh, both when they first start, you know, you, you do a little bit of training and then you just get out of the way and then you set the agenda and, and hold them accountable. And, and they just seem to to flourish and fly much, much more, but they still make mistakes. There's still little things you have to pick them up on um, because, but they're only human. I do exactly the same thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. I mean, what's the saying? You, you know, pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Right. So, you know, quality, quality, but, but in the right roles as well, you know, and I think having, you know, like you say, just best practice around job description, skill sets you're looking for, hiring the right people, making sure they're well rewarded, incentivized, because they'll stay with you, you know. And and it, and and actually, if they decide to move on in their career, you're sending them send them on their way, knowing that you've really helped them, and that's a great thing, actually. So I think often when people leave a business, they're treated terribly. Go, oh, you're disloyal and you're leaving us. Oh my God. Whereas actually, you, know, you should be really proud of that. You've helped that person move to the next stage of their career, and that's creating space for someone else 
else to kind of, you know, step up. So I think people are everything, aren't they? Because we're only ever one person and it's 24 hours in a day. So you're right. I think very often I, I certainly suffer from this in my earlier career. You know, you, you, you're more ego driven. You feel that if you don't have the answers to everything, that then you're not not being good at your job. Whereas it's absolute nonsense, of course, you know, hire smart people that are smarter than you at the stuff that you're not good at. You know, and then yeah. you're you're gonna you're gonna absolutely flourish. Everyone wins, and um, but yeah, sometimes ego gets in the way. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So, so Gary, talk about the the business a little bit now, because I know it's it's sort of evolved. Um, we met. I think we met in twenty. Was it twenty nineteen? I think we first met. Yeah. And you helped me hugely with the social media. So I'm going to come back round to that. But talk about the business, how you help people, what what you know what services you provide so that anyone that's listening might think oh actually yeah I'd really could do with you know kind of uh, engaging with you from that point of view in terms of where where you can help them yeah so active financial we went through a bit of a rebrand we were active mortgage things like that but we encompass more than just a mortgage so the the niche in there is we help self-employed people business owners and property investors to buy refinance or invest in property um, we've done more than a billion pounds in lending in any property strategy that you could realistically imagine. I wrote an Amazon best-selling book called The Self-Employed Mortgage Guide. Um, and more often than not, you know, for self-employed people, for business owners, it's just square peg round hole. Uh, and rather than trying to the, the type that, you know, the the time and money equation comes up again. You can try and find your own deal. You can do your bridging loan yourself. You can sort out your development finance. All these things you can do, but actually you pay your accountant because they're an expert at those things and they save you a huge amount of time. And actually the amount of money that you save in tax is what you're realistically paying them to do. You might pay an advisor or a broker a, a fee for their service, depending on the size of the deal that you're doing. But you'll typically find in the advice that you receive and the time that's saved and the the 15 to 20 to 25 hours that goes on behind the, you know, behind the scenes on behalf of the, the customer and the client, um, you'll save huge amounts. So, Again, having kind of put it on cruise control since pandemic times and, and all the troubles that we had with the property market this year, I've, I've really decided that, you know, I'm, I'm in my 19th year, 20 years next year. Um, I'm going to rebuild my team, take all my principles in lead generation and, and actually go gun ho to build the number one sort of firm in the UK that's fully well known and structured for for the 5.5, 5.6 million self-employed business owners and and property investors that there are in the UK. Um, and as I say, when I released my book, the first one, my industry started asking me for help. So since March of 2019, I've had my podcast and I've had a membership, which was called the Pro Academy, um, that was mostly focused on generating leads, increasing sales and maximizing profit for financial services professionals. Uh, again, I planned an event two events a month in uh, February of 2020 or January of 2020. We got two months in and then we couldn't run any more events. So we, we moved to online and masterminds. And last year I started to bring some back. Um, but for the whole of this year, over the last nine months, it literally has felt like an extremely long pregnancy. Um, but two days ago on, on, you know, two days ago, we ran our first um higher level program which is called leads to lifestyle because my fundamental belief is you design the life that you want and get that right first you build the and then you reverse engineer that to the number of leads and inquiries and booked calls that you get on the front end 
And then everything from leads to lifestyle is all about building a better business. So you design the foundations that you need to, to overcome the lack of capacity. You build the uh, the marketing and the funnels and the sales to give you overcome the lack of leads. And then you continually optimize your performance to overcome that lack of time. And every year you should go through that virtuous cycle of designing foundations, build, optimize. And um, we've just kicked off that journey and we've rebranded the membership to success circle, um, which we're now going to sort of de-niche out of financial services in, in that area. So I'm working with 30 financial services professionals on leads to lifestyle in person every month, guest experts every month, one-to-one sessions, big, huge accountability for that group of 30. Um, and then success circle is focusing on self-employed people, business owners, and property investors. Uh, and really just bringing them sort of weekly clinics, monthly guest experts, uh, on specific topics, be it property or business or marketing or sales or whatever. Um, and that's really aimed at kind of that early stage self-employed personal business owner. Cause you know, I just don't want anyone to build a business like I did for the first 10 years of my business career and journey. Um, and equally, I don't want anyone to, you know, how often do we go into the world of business owner and self-employment and you get huge success or what you deem as huge success. And then you have an industry change or a market change or interest rates go up. And then you're like, all of a sudden you move into fear. And it's only really been in the last couple of years that I've actually designed that strategy to to have continual predictable growth. And even while my mum was passed away and I wasn't in the business, we still grew 50% because of the processes, the systems and the team and the marketing and the sales that was all kind of automated and, and passed on. So unlike some of the people that we well know that run training companies, I would rather work with lesser, less people um, and get more results um, because I'm just so, you know, I, I'm, so heavily invested in not just having for me it's not just about the money it's about you know solving real problems and and educating people that's the biggest thing that i really enjoy is just learning something testing it and then teaching what did and didn't work yeah and you know as you're talking i mean it's great because what you've got you've got a b2c business and you've got a b2b business as well so you're helping the industry in financial services but also kind of Broader, broader business, let's say, in terms of, yeah. you know, non-financial services sector businesses as well. But then, yeah. of course, you're helping consumers with their lending needs, whether it's commercial, service accommodation, whatever it might be in that sense as well. So I, lo- I like the fact you've got the parallel um, worlds, if you like, because, again, that diversifies your earnings. It means you're reaching people in different ways. And and a lot of, I think, what you bring that's very unique, Gary, and is your values and kind of your life experience. Obviously, probably more profound now uh, since the last few years that you've gone through, maybe a COVID and then a lead up to your, to, to your mum and, and everything that's kind of happened since then. But this journey of almost self-exploration and what's important to me as a business owner and making sure that you're congruent with those values in everything you do, hence maybe fewer fewer um you know people doing the training but quality and and really building on what's important um to you in the way you carry yourself um how do you stay true to that gary because you know i often see businesses where the temptation of big money comes along right in whichever shape or form could be a client it could be someone wants to buy your business whatever right 
and and there can be a strong pull there. And let's let's face it, you know, money isn't a dirty word. We all need money. You can do a lot of good with money. But sometimes you can find yourself in a position of conflict where deep down you kind of go, mm, oh God, it just doesn't quite fit with my moral code or my values or whatever, however you want to describe it. And a lot of people just ignore that and, and go for the money. And I'm no judgment here, by the way. Um, but how do you kind of wreck? Do you ever have those conflicts? And how do you reconcile them if they if they do come along for you? Really good question. I'm just trying to think if I've ever had that conflict. Um, I know that I don't think I've ever had the conflict, but I mentioned earlier, you know, particularly during the course of the pandemic where people were at home and I met a lot of people on Clubhouse and all this kind of stuff. I said yes to lots of things that when I've reflected over the course of this year and, and sort of at the little bit at the end of last year before baby turned up, you know, I just actually sat down and went, why am I doing this? And is this actually getting me closer to a destination or a goal that I really want to achieve? Um, and as I mentioned, I've been working with Shari since December and, and a lot of our conversations and a lot of our, of our uh, ideas and, and how, least the lifestyle came about and all this kind of thing was was the realization that I am a lifestyle business owner. And I think one of the questions she asked me, for example, is what are you going to do if you work with a cohort of people and then that perfect client knocks on your door that wants to do one-to-one and blah, 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 blah. And, and I just said, they're going to have to wait. They're joined success circle and we'll, we, you know, we'll do it next year. And I think probably one area that I've always benefited from or being around my parents. And, you know, annoyingly now I notice all the things that I used to hate when I lived at home that are ingrained in me that I make my children do. Um, But the biggest thing that I took from both of them was they are, they were both so insanely disciplined. And I think that's always been, if I'm, if I'm in, I'm, I'm all in. And that's, that's a, a positive and a negative. If I eat one biscuit, the whole freaking pack's going you know, but if I commit to like I did in April, losing a stone and, and doing it by a certain date, you know, literally the day that I did it was the day that I managed to achieve that kind of and call it law of attraction or, you know, but it, Richard, really, it's really the law of action. Um, I think that the discipline to just say no now is is so ingrained in me because I I value time more than money, as I said earlier. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. I mean, and it, it is a is a lesson, you know, we're sharing our highs and lows and what have you here. So, you know, I think it's it's always worth checking in, you know, and say, is mm. this, am I doing something that's kind of out of kilter here with with what I stand for and, and what's important? And just really, I think having strong, that strong um, appreciation of what you're about and self-awareness can really help keep you true when those tough decisions come along or it might be that you go okay well on that area I am kind of prepared to compromise a bit but over here I'm not prepared to compromise you know so I think it's a good good watch out for people definitely do you know what's do you know what's popped into my head as well I think I can't think of a specific scenario uh other than maybe a mortgage client that I've just got the ick from a little I can I can sense there's something quite off on that first conversation or maybe when I've recruited an employee and it's like they're really good freaking at the job but there's just something a little bit odd about them or something like that and I think based on what you said if you get that ick or you get that stomach feeling or that gut instinct or whatever it is the sixth sense just go with that because I guarantee every time that I've not trusted that judgment, that has bitten me in the ass later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, often it's just as simple as that, isn't it? You know, just kind of thinking, does this feel right? 
Was it something yeah. quite something niggling that's not quite right? And yeah, yeah, you're right actually. And nine times out of ten, you, you should have followed your gut. <laughs> Definitely. You can, yeah, and you can. It's really funny actually because an old um, when I was at Tui for many years, the group HR director was a is it well, was a lady called Jackie Simmons who's still a very good friend. She's now the group HR director for Experience, so ma- massive, massive kind of you know professional in that space. Wonderful lady, and I remember her saying to me, um, you know, bear in mind she was an HR professional or talent and culture as they call it these days uh, and she said to me she said you know what Jeanette it's really simple you can have all the HR like you know verbiage around it but it's as simple as do you like your boss <laughs> do you get on with your boss <laughs> you know and I, I remember I mean this is years and years like 18 years ago or something and I re- it stuck with me and I remember thinking yeah you know sometimes we overthink it it's often just as simple as does this feel right is this relationship good or, or not you know don't overanalyze it <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you like your boss if you don't you're probably on a hiding to nowhere Simple. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah brilliant and and gary you know i i know we we need to we need to kind of start bringing things to a close but social media right i mean that's where mm-hmm. you and i met and you helped me hugely on my journey into social media and i i wouldn't i wouldn't say i'm a uh you know a giant in the space but it is certainly shifted significantly from where I was, you know, in the corporate space to where I am now. Um, And I remember you encouraging me and I made a commitment to do, I think I said I was going to do a live video, 8am every single day for the next two weeks, Monday to Friday. I remember like that first one, like wanting to throw up and just think, I mean, oh my God, if I look at it now, it was like the worst video, but that it made me, it forced me because I made the commitment and I bloody did it. And am I perfect at video and social media? No, of course, I'm not but I have definitely kind of embraced um social media for for what it can achieve and also be aware of where it can like you know obviously some negative sides as well but for for you social media has been massive obviously in terms of growing the business reaching people um what are some of the things that you think are really important for people to um you know put into action when it comes to social media and what are some of the things that you know you would recommend people probably avoid or or don't pay attention to yeah really good question i think we've seen a lot of change this year um and particularly in my industry as well you know we've seen ai come around this year which has been absolutely huge we've seen the birth of tiktok coming around we've just had uh you know we've Instagram has sort of modeled TikTok a little bit. Now they bought out threads, which, you know, is meant to rival uh, Twitter and, and sort of take over or X as it's now called. So in 2016 and sort of when we first met, I think social media in the world was much, much easier. Um, now kind of 2023 and, and where we're currently at, you know, algorithms are changing all the time and it's getting harder and harder to to do what we used to do because it's getting noisier and people are lacking more time. And let's be honest, there is so much content around now that it's it's hard to get that cut through. So I wrote my book called The Lead Generation Guides um, in February of this year. And really, I think the the stages that you should go through in leveraging social media is is fundamentally it's there to build a brand and you can build a personal brand, a business brand or a product brand. And ideally, you want to do all three. Uh, But the personal brand doesn't have to be huge. Like I talk about in my book, you don't need 100,000 followers and half the people that you see with 100,000 followers, if you look at the engagement on their posts, will be 10 likes you know, so don't just follow the headline of, of what's, uh, what's on the followership. It's about how many people you've actually got engaged. Because as Kevin Kelly said, 
if you have a thousand true fans that buy a thousand pound product from you, you've done a million pound business. So it's not always the size of the audience, but the quality of the audience that you have. So I think even now I've only got about 50 or 60,000, but as a result of that, it has made me millions since 2016. And and sort of only in the last couple of years have we really started to use ads because I've done everything organically mostly. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of the platforms are becoming pay to play now. So anyone, whether you're at the beginning, the middle, or you know, have got a huge profile, you need to start with clarity and identifying who it is you're speaking to, why you want to be speaking to them, getting into that niche, be it a product or an area or uh, a specific job title. You know, who are we actually trying to attract and who do we want to work with? Once you know that, you can then get into the problems and the solutions that, that they're realistically facing. Uh, and you can start to produce valuable content using things like answer the public or now you can chuck it into AI and AI will, you know, give you a lot of the answers. Once you've done those two steps and you've got a kind of content calendar and a content structure and know the common problems or the common questions that are being asked through Google and all of that jazz, then we can start to produce the content and leverage the right social media channel. You know, I think more often than not, the the temptation is to try and be all things to all people and everywhere at all times. But in 2016, 2017, I only used Facebook and I only used Facebook groups, you know, and that was almost two years before I then started to repurpose and put things on other channels. So it's much better to master one and nail it there than it is to try and be absolutely everywhere. Um, but the advantage that we have now is, you know, when you, when you do a short form video or when you and I do this podcast, you can uh, take the podcast video you can put that onto YouTube and you can just put that up and you can choose to do whatever you want with it. You could then upload it into AI and you could get a transcription and you could utilize the blog off of the back of that. You can then ask AI to write you an email to send to your list to promote the podcast and the blog and the YouTube video. You can rip the audio and put it onto an audio platform. Uh, and there's even, I don't know if your team use this, but there's even a, a piece of software once it's on YouTube called Opus Clip which will actually go through when you upload the URL, it will find the valuable pieces of short form content and create them for you. So you can even, you know, you spend an hour a week doing a podcast episode or a YouTube channel, for example, and you can create your whole week's worth of content off of the back of it. And the the key thing is once leveraging social media is, is really importantly, the, the fourth step in that process that I talk about in the book is the marketing techniques, because it's great having a huge Facebook group or a massive social media audience. But particularly over the last few years, you say the wrong thing, your channel gets shut down, you know, or someone says the wrong thing in your Facebook group that isn't even you and Facebook group gets shut down, you know, or, or someone hacks. I've had it seen it happen before. Uh, 40,000 really engaged followers on an Instagram channel from a good friend of mine uh, and a channel got uh, Instagram got hacked um, and she lost the whole channel. She's had to start all over again. Um, so it's really important in that marketing sense, once we've kind of built an audience, no matter how big or small, how do we take that audience and get them into something that we own name, number, and email address. Um, and those four steps don't really cost you time, but they do cost you some, you know, they, well, they cost you time. They can cost you some money if you want to outsource the video editing or the podcast production or those kind of things, but that is completely in your control. 
And once you've got those four things working, you can then start to move on to, you know, running some ads across multiple channels or or trying to, you know, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, retargeting, Facebook, et cetera. Um, but I think it's really important to sit there and just say, who am I talking to? Why am I talking to them? What problems do they have? And what's the, the channel that they are mostly on and put energy and effort into that? And are they somebody who watches, reads or listens to content and just be damn consistent? That's the big thing. Brilliant. Wow. Masterclass. Masterclass, Mr. Gary Daz. (laughs) Hopefully it helps. Yes, another reason why everyone needs Gary Daz in their life. There you go. (laughs) Boom. So, Gary, listen, we're gonna I'm gonna ask you a last few questions. Um, you're you're obviously big on, you know, you said you're a lifestyle business owner and you've kind of got to that that stage in your kind of business journey now. And family is hugely important, you know, with lovely wife or amazing children, you know, an extended family, etc. So, you know, this this balance between kind of business making that work and having a fulfilled life, if you like, overall really work for you that might help other people grappling with that um how did i find that balance did you say well yeah i suppose how did you find it but also what are some of the practical things that you that allows you to to live that balance today um in the in the space that you're in right now yeah i think you have to go through short-term pain for ultimate long-term gain so that short-term pain in 2016 i did 12 hour days six day weeks because I had to make it successful because I downsized, you know, moved into a new house and downsized from a, an almost seven figure business to start all over again. Um, but that early sacrifice led to much quicker results and longer term success. So I think equally then it becomes working in 90 day increments um, and periodically you know leading up to my holiday for almost six weeks leading up to our holiday in august you know i said to my wife you've just got to sacrifice now because i'm recruiting i need to train but i promise you i will not do more than an hour of work every day when we're on our 10-day holiday and i didn't Um, and since we've come back you know i've had way more time again and i'm at home today at the end of the garden and we walked we had breakfast this morning and um, when we drop the kids off and we'll go and walk and pick them up at the end of the day and all things like that so it's it's really important that balance comes at the end of sacrifice. I think that's the, you know, if you go through, I mentioned to you earlier, I've since April, I've lost a stone and going through that journey up until the holiday as well, you know, progressively I was eating less progressively. I was moving more and evening cardio came in and it went from 20 minutes to 30 to 40 to 60 the week before the holiday. And I hit my stone target. Um, but, and I walked, every day whilst I was away as well. And I put on, you know, four or five pounds, but now I'm back to my pre-holiday weight and I had to go through that sacrifice. You know, I'm back to only doing 10,000 steps every day and training once in the morning, you know? So it's like, you have to go through that period to then get to a point where you create a new set point to then give you the time and the lifestyle that you realistically want. But it comes with crystal clear goals and irrespective of what your brain tells you, you know, that monkey and that chimp that goes, nah, 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 the world's going to shit. The economy's all budged up. The No one's buying houses, blah, 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 blah. You know, don't listen to any of that external stuff. That's your goal. That's your satellite navigation. You're going to hit traffic. Just stay the course and be consistent and don't make big shifts. Progress over perfection is one of my, my, uh, my sayings that I've marry up all the time and you'll have the opportunity just to step once at a time, you know, one step at a time and you'll get there in the end. 
Yeah, wonderful. I love that. It's a proper reality check for people, actually. Don't be naive about this. <laughs> you've got you've got to have done some stuff before you even get to this elusive position. So, Gary, last last few questions. Um, so when you uh, think about all of your, you know, amazing life and the best is yet to come, I feel for for Gary and and family. Um, can you think of a great piece of advice that has sort of lasted with you over the years? A great piece of advice that has lasted with me over the years. Uh, I think, especially with kids now as well, the the cheesy Jim Rowan saying of you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And I think I didn't do that up until 2016. Uh, and even now, as my eldest daughter's just started secondary school and things like that, you know, in primary school, we knew all the kids and all the parents and we knew who she was hanging around with and which ones we wanted to spend more time with those parents so we could influence which ones she was hanging around with. Much harder now she's at secondary school. Um, so I think you you have to spend in that journey, you find the best people. And it took me years to realize this when I was a kid. If I wanted to play better tennis, I played with someone who was better. You know, when I wanted to play better football, I went to find a better football team where I was the crap one. So get yourself around people who are equally much further ahead than you, but also you need some at the same level as you. So you've got some commonality and and can talk about the same stuff, but also have a couple of people who are behind you that you can impart some knowledge on because that will equally help to reinforce the knowledge that you have gained by passing it on. So, yeah, just surround yourself with better people and, and pass on what you learn, because what I've come to realize in business, but equally in, you know, as a father, my job is to make the next generation better. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give back, put your hand down and hold, pull the next people up with you, next generation. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. I love that. And Gary, obviously, you've had a year of, you know, kind of a lot going on. Um, if you could describe this year in a word... Can you think what that word might be and why? Uh, if I could describe the last year in a word. Um, oh, lifestyle comes to mind. Success comes to mind. Um, yeah, that's a really tough one, Jeanette. As I would go <laughs> with that, I would, I would say lifestyle success from that point of view in that case, because up until really this year, you know, while I had a nice life and the business grew without me and during the pandemic, I was able to be around and see my, you know, my third child grow up much more than I was the the sort of the first two that was forced upon me. Whereas this year, it's been more strategically put into practice. Um, and actually, I've said a lot of I've said no to a lot of business things that have, have you know, given me a lot more clarity, given me more brain, brain space. And I have come to that realization that that lifestyle is the most important aspect. And I didn't build a business just to make money or to to help or serve others. I did it because I want the time to have nice holidays, but also ride my motorbike, but also, you know, help other people at the same time. And it's, it's got to be a holistic view of absolutely everything, you know, including my own health by allowing myself, you know, pre-holiday two hours a day to to exercise and whatnot. Brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. See, it's good, isn't it? It makes you think. <laughs> mm, it does. It does. <laughs> and the, listen, the podcast, as you well know, because you've been a, a big supporter of, of Brave Bold Brilliant, you know, right from those early days, we're three years in and still going strong. And um, I'm Amazing. really pleased that I've 
that again, I had to work hard to get you on here. It's probably been about 18 months trying to get you on, on uh, Brave Bold Brilliant. So I'm delighted we got there in the end. But what does that mean to you? When you hear the, hear Brave Bold Brilliant, what, 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 what comes to mind? Uh, brave means doing things that you need to, even when you don't want to. Getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, and that probably links in a little bit. That's probably brave and bold in one answer there, to be fair. Um, you know, bold is just trying. And I had this conversation with my daughter last night, funnily enough, who's like, she's really into performing arts. And she sat there at the dinner table and was like, oh, they've got this play that they're doing at school, but everyone at school is auditioning. And I was like, look, it's better to try and fail than never to try at all. So I think that's the meaning of bold to me. Way better to try and fail because you just fail forwards. Uh, and brilliant is Jeanette. <laughs> Oh my God, Gary, I've never had that answer. Lovely, you like it? <laughs> <laughs> you are smooth, 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 smooth. Oh, listen, Gary, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed our conversation and I know that anyone listening or watching will get so much from this. So huge, huge thank you to you, Gary. Thank you very much indeed for having me and I hope I didn't talk too much and bore everybody. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.